0: This week's episode is sponsored by Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5 star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now, for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Use coupon code CHAT or click the link in the show notes to get two free months at therapynotes.com. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm Laura Reagan, your host, and I'm bringing you part two of my conversation with Dr. Gail Gazelle about physician burnout, which is helping professional burnout. And specifically, today we're talking about resilience. She talks about her journey with burnout as a physician and what she learned from. Positions who were working during the early days of the COVID-19 pandemic in the spring and summer of 2020. She talks about the moral injury that is experienced by those of us helping professionals who people call heroic. And sometimes we may feel like We actually have failed in so many ways in our professions because of things that happened that weren't within our control. And she talks about how to build resilience to that. And I know that many therapists who are listening right now might be able to relate to what she describes. I feel like this is one of the few interviews where we talk about burnout really in a deep way that relates to the trauma response from someone's lived experience. So I hope you will find this informative and relatable, and I don't want you to be able to relate to the feeling of burnout, but, you know, that's something that so many of us are dealing with. I do want you to be able to relate to the feeling that you're not alone, if that's how you're feeling right now, and that it can get better. So, I definitely recommend checking out Gail's book, which there is a link to in the show notes. It's called Everyday Resilience. And next week, I plan, if all goes as intended, I plan to bring you a new episode that I'm very excited to share. And later this month or early in August, I'll be announcing some very exciting things that are coming up. One thing that is not definite, so I can't say for sure, but tentatively we're looking at putting together a gathering of for a live therapy chat podcast episode recording with an audience. That would be people who come to listen and participate, because we're gonna have a QA. And we're looking at doing that in Denver this August. So obviously that's coming up very soon. So letting you know that that's out there. And if you're on my email list, I'll definitely inform everyone when it's set up for sure, but really excited about the opportunity to record live with an audience. That's going to be really neat. And what we're going to be talking about should be super interesting as well. So Can't wait to tell you more about it. Stay tuned for that. Like I said, if you're on my email list, you'll get an email about it when plans are firmed up. Either way, I will be in Denver this August and would love to find ways to connect with listeners and also Trauma Therapist Network members in person. So working hard to get those plans finalized now. Real quick, I'll give you another description of my guest Dr. Gail Gazelle and her bio. She was on last week so you've already heard this, but if you didn't catch last week's episode 390, you can go back and listen to that too. But Dr. Gail Gazelle is a former hospice physician, part-time Harvard Medical School assistant professor and a master certified coach for physicians. After working in the field of end-of-life care for most of her professional career, Dr. Gazelle shifted her focus to another vulnerable population, physicians in the modern American healthcare system. Gail Gazelle has coached over 500 physicians and physician leaders on leadership development, communication, teamwork, conflict management, mindfulness to build resilience, and emotional intelligence. And I'm just going to cut into the bio to say that there are a lot of different ways that people can experience executive coaching and The really deep work that Gail is doing using a trauma-centered approach is very beneficial. You know, oftentimes it can be mindset work that's very cognitive and it doesn't go as deep. And there's a place for that too. But when people are in burnout, what they really need is something like what she does. So just wanted to throw that out there. Dr. Gazelle's passion is in providing physicians the resilience skills not covered in training that make the difference between burnout and surviving the marathon of a medical career. A longtime mindfulness practitioner and educator, Dr. Gazelle is a certified mindfulness meditation teacher with world renowned teachers Tara Brock and Jack Kornfield. Dr. Gazelle is the author of The Daily Dose of Calm, a free 14 day mindfulness mini course, and her articles have appeared in many publications, but her book, Everyday Resilience came out in August 2020. And there's a link to find her book in the show notes. I hope you will enjoy our conversation. I wanted to tell you one more thing. Oh, yeah. I wanted to tell you that I was talking with someone the other day who has an adult child who's in medical school right now. And she was telling me that her child on the first day of class learned about the adverse childhood experiences study. And that was so heartening to me. I just want to say it's a little off topic, but to think that some medical schools are teaching physicians about the impact of childhood trauma on health and physical and mental health is so long, long, long overdue. But the fact that it's actually happening makes me hopeful. And anything that can give hope That things are changing in this very needed way is welcome. So, thank you all for listening, and I'll be back with you with a new episode, I hope, next week. And until then, thank you so much for listening to Therapy Chat. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan, and I'm so happy to be continuing my conversation that we started last week with our part one with Dr. Gail Gazelle. Gail, thanks so much for coming back to Therapy Chat today. Oh, I'm
1: delighted to be here. Thank you.
0: Yes, I loved our first conversation about the topic of physician burnout. You are the author of Everyday Resilience, a Practical Guide to Build Inner Strength and Weather Life's Challenges, and you are a former hospice physician and on the faculty at Harvard Medical School and your meditation teacher, you've got it all going on, Gail. <laughs> <Awesome>. <laughs> so why don't you just give our audience a little thumbnail sketch of what you're doing these days and they can refer back to our previous episode for all the nitty gritty.
1: Okay, great. Yeah, so I was a hospice physician for many years and I then went on and became an executive coach for physicians and physician leaders and I did that after my own bout with burnout. I loved being a hospice physician. I I felt so privileged to be involved in this very sacred time in people's lives and to help them and their families cope with the enormity of loss that they were experiencing. So the work was incredibly rich and satisfying. But at the same time, it was kind of overwhelming in, in part. And I was a parent at the time. I had a child actually on my own. So I was a sole parent. And just the juggling of being a parent and meeting my child's needs and having a busy career, and I also had an academic career, I just started struggling with burnout and guilt and, you know, kind of not really knowing how to sustain myself. So I got coached myself and found it enormously helpful. I I had also had a lot of therapy, which helped me with some complicated family of origin issues. So... The therapy and then the coaching just really helped me figure out how to have a lot more joy in my life, a lot more ease, a lot more balance, a lot lot more self-care. So I decided to become a coach so that I could help physicians across North America kind of get the same benefits and find ways to meet the demands of their career and continue to thrive. Along the way, I had my own mindfulness meditation practice, did a lot of coursework and retreats. And then I was a participant in a wonderful, intensive two-year training with Tara Brock and Jack Kornfield to become a mindfulness meditation teacher. And that has been so rich for my own life and also what I can bring you know, in my writing and my coaching and in my speaking to physicians and others. So
0: that's a little thumbnail sketch about me, Laura. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. And I think when we were talking last time, we were talking about burnout and it's a problem for all types of healthcare professionals and any helping professionals, especially as we are currently recording this in month, I guess. When did it start in New York? Was it in February? I think March is really late February, early March of 2020. It's been quite a year, hasn't it? Yeah, so we're in about, you know, seven to eight months of dealing with this pandemic that is just impacting everybody in America in some way, big ways and small ways. And you were in New York helping with the hospital work there? Were you working with physicians who were dealing with the impact of Mm. taking care of patients with COVID?
1: Yeah, I was called in to lead support groups for a large physician health network in New York City. And that was, I was doing the support groups kind of April through June. And so, you know, New York was so hard hit. And it's really interesting the ways that the COVID pandemic impacted physicians. Many of us were calling physicians heroes, right? Heroes, mm-hmm. the healthcare workers. And I gotta tell you, how many physicians have told me that they bristled at their term? So what do I mean by that? Well, frontline physicians in New York, let's say an intensive care physician would tell me that I'm not a hero, Gail, because heroes save lives. And I couldn't save that 45-year-old mother of two teenagers who died of COVID under my care. So how can I think about myself as a hero? Then, similarly, a family physician in New York who was doing telehealth, so wasn't doing hands-on care, you know, because of the pandemic— Said to me, I hate it when they call me a hero. I'm not a hero. I'm not actually even touching patients now. How could I possibly consider myself a hero? So, this intense guilt and anguish. And, you know, for many months in New York City and other cities across this country, at 7 p.m., for example, you know, horns would honk and people would bang pots and sing songs all about, you know, the heroes and heroines of the healthcare system. And yet, this is how many physicians and I'm sure nurses and other healthcare providers, mental health providers included, would feel. You know, almost like they were an imposter, not a real hero. And sadly... You know, that's the lot of people who are identified as heroes. War heroes often feel that way, but I couldn't save my best buddy on that Mm -hmm. field in Iran or Iraq or wherever it was. That's kind of the lot of heroes is this juxtaposition of being called a hero, but perhaps being overly focused on what you're not able to do as opposed to what you are. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we talked in the last session about the ingredients of burnout, the emotional exhaustion, the cynicism and depersonalization and the inability to connect with our own sense of meaning, purpose and accomplishment and strengths. And, and as we talk about this concept of heroes, it kind of shines a light on that third component that... Sometimes we're so focused on what we're not doing well that we lose sight of what we are. And that's so important. You know that in mental health for well-being, we have to be able to switch that lens to what we are doing well, kind of the positive psychology focus. And it's really true of physicians, because obviously, whether you're a family doc or an intensive care doc, in a pandemic, you're helping people, right? mm mm-hmm. You know, and so how to feel good about what you are able to do instead of dwelling in what you are not able to do. It's, it's, a, it's such an important mindset switch that... I I see as enormously helpful in managing burnout in healthcare professionals because we can all get so caught up in that negativity bias and that sense of well I should have done this and I could have done that and why didn't I and everybody else is so much more caring and compassionate et cetera and we have to be able to help people switch that lens to okay so you're not perfect none of us are. But let's look at the things that you did do well. <laughs> let's look at how you did help people, how you did contribute, how you were motivated to care, how your presence, even if you didn't have a cure, your presence helped that fellow human being get through the the tragedies that they were experiencing. So important, don't you think?
0: Oh yeah, and that just you know, it almost seems like as if because you were a hospice physician that maybe that gave you that perspective to be able to see. Because in hospice, every patient dies, you know? Yes. It's not a goal of preventing that because it's not preventable. So Mm -hmm. does that play into it, do you think? Yes, because
1: when we're talking about people who are approaching the end of their life from some terminal illness, of course, they don't deserve to have. What we want to do as a hospice professional is help people change from the hope for extension of life, for longevity, how to change that into a hope for quality for the the longevity that you do have. In other words, how to change the hope for something that will never happen, right, a cure or even more time. How to change that hope and and harness that hope, that wonderful human dimension of hope, how to harness it towards a realistic goal, quality time with the people who are deeply important to you, getting your affairs in order, you know, making decisions about things that you do have a choice about in terms of pain management and symptom management So it does involve that kind of flipping of expectations to what is realistic to hope for. And similarly, if we go back to the two physicians in the pandemics that I mentioned, helping them have a clearer lens of what they are able to help people with, right? You know, so that that, um, intensivist who, you know, Talked about I'm not a hero because I couldn't save that 45-year-old woman. Well, tell me about some of the patients that you were able to save. And if you weren't able to save them, the ones that you were able to help and ease their suffering, even if they did go on to die. So, you know, it's it's that negativity bias, you know, that expression, Laura, that, you know, the negatives glom onto us like Velcro and the positives just roll off of us like there's some kind of Teflon coating. So that negativity bias can be so profound for all of us. And yet we want to help people reverse that frame. We want to help them be able to dwell in the very real positives, the real things that they are helping patients with, the real things. And help them also let go to some of the things that nobody could help them if we don't have a cure for COVID. Very tragically, so instead of hanging on to why couldn't I save that person, look at the good I did do. And honestly, if there was a cure, I would have provided it. I know I would have. I would have gone to the ends of the earth for that patient. But we don't have a cure, so I had to have that that very realistic appraisal that benefits, I think, all of us in fueling ourselves giving us ballast to continue doing the work that we're doing and replenishing our deep well of resilience that as i said in the first session lies within all of us we all have resilience within us but we don't always learn how to access it but we don't always learn how to replenish what i think of as a deep well of strengths and courage and wisdom and curiosity and goodness that actually resides in each and every one of us. So it gives me a lot of joy. And I know this is the same for you, Laura, in terms of your work. It gives me so much joy and pleasure to help people, you know, switch to the truth of
0: the good they are doing and helping them really shine a light on that. Oh, it's so important. And, you know, and you made me think of something with the the physicians and, and all the healthcare providers in New York, because the state was hit so brutally hard by the pandemic, even if for the patients they couldn't keep alive, the work they did and all the work that all the healthcare providers are doing, where they try this and they try that and what works and what helps and what doesn't and, you know, gathering all the data and it's not a research study. This is real time. But you know, what what we're learning through the way that people are taking care of their patients and what makes a change is it's invaluable to eventually finding a cure or a vaccine or both for this terrible virus. So that in itself is a significant contribution literally to science. Yeah. The
1: whole of that day in, day out. And again, Helping healthcare professionals see that mm-hmm. that good that they're doing, you know that, and how what an additive effect it
0: has. Yeah, yeah. This uh, pandemic has really done a lot to hurt our our world. There's no question about that. And but this topic of physician burnout will be relevant even when COVID is hopefully a distant memory, of something yeah. that we all got through. Yeah. And, you know, isn't it interesting that
1: times of difficulty often propel times of growth, Mm -hmm. change? And when I think about resilience, I, I think about how do we keep our focus on things that we can control as opposed to things that we cannot? I find as a coach, some of the most burnt out physicians who come to me are spending a lot of time and energy railing against the system system is broken. The electronic health record, which we, we spent a lot of time on in the first session, you know, it's eating me alive. The practice of medicine is just going down the tubes. They've taken away all our joy. And this focus on the system, which is very broken, I'm, I'm not questioning that, but a focus on things that we can't control. So similarly with COVID, you know, I can't be happy while this pandemic is still here.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: A lot of people in healthcare are saying that, and certainly, you know, the the, the tremendous strife that the pandemic is causing is, you know, it's, it's extraordinary. And do we have to give away our happiness as well? <laughs> is our happiness dependent on whether we're in a pandemic or not? Or the pressures in healthcare, or not, or is our happiness something that we can actually cultivate within ourselves? And again, that's a lot of my interest in resilience. How do we build resilience to manage all of the things that come our way that are out of our control—unexpected illness, an accident, a death, right, loss of a job, um, you know, racial inequities—all of the things that come up. Um, that we have very little control over. How do we build our endurance to manage all of those things and still reach whatever our goals are? And that's why, to me, resilience isn't just a bouncing back. It's not just that rubber band analogy or the willow tree that bends and doesn't break. Those are important images, but it's really more... How do we ride the uncertainty and the adversity that is part of the human condition with minimal, unnecessary cost? With minimal, unnecessary physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, every
0: therapist we've all had that moment. You wake up in the middle of the night. Oh my gosh, did I do my notes? Well, you don't have to worry about that anymore when you use therapy notes. in 15 minutes or less. So I highly recommend Therapy Notes. And don't forget, go to therapynotes.com and use promo code chat to get two free months.
1: Possible domain of cost and suffering we can have and get to what's most deeply important to us in our lives and our work. That's, that's to me what we really need to be working toward. We can't change things like the pandemic. If 2020 has taught us anything, it's that, you know, crap happens. (laughs) And it happens on a pretty large scale at times. But we can change how we interact with that adversity, how we manage us. You know, we can control how we relate to people. Are we still, you know, helping people to excel and see the good within themselves and the world around them? And that's, that's what is endlessly interesting to me
0: and what I'm deeply committed to. That's such an important and helpful perspective because, like you said, the negativity bias can make it difficult to even see anything other than what's happening around you, especially when there's so much trouble right now. Yes. yes. In so many ways. So can you talk... A little bit, and first, I'll give you an opportunity if you think it fits here to talk about your own story a bit, and then I'd love for you to share what um, some of the like techniques or strategies that you use to help people. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I'm happy to share honestly about my own story. So I grew up outside of New York City in a middle class Long Island neighborhood. And things in my household looked pretty okay on the outside. My father was a social work professor. My mother was a teacher. There was no alcohol, drugs, no violence, no physical violence. But what went on inside the house was very different than that outside veneer. There was a lot of abuse. Uh, It was sexual abuse. And it happened during the night when nobody was there to see what was happening. And sadly, in my case, it occurred over a lot of years. It was a big part of my growing up. And, you know, your audience are mental health professionals. They know about trauma And they know about repressed trauma. The way that I survived was by blocking it out. You know, I'd come down in the morning and my mother would be like, okay, you know, get ready now. It's time to go to school. And honestly, I'd come down in the morning, very confused, not really knowing did I dream what happened during the night? And why had my father done these things? And you know, hungry for even a morsel of comfort, but I didn't get comfort. I got, you know, time to go, let's go, let's keep moving. And so my psyche learned to just put it away. And, you know, we know about fight, flight, freeze. I think it's an example of freeze. My psyche was faced with overwhelming badness and terror and fear. And, you know, my father coming into my bedroom at night doing pretty awful things. So my psyche protected me by putting it all away. I was fortunate. I was in a family that valued education and I was fortunate that I had academic smarts and I would go to school and I'd be like, teacher, teacher, call on me because I needed that distraction. I needed the validation that being successful at school provided me. Again, I was very fortunate that I had that because I don't know if I would have survived otherwise. I don't know if I would have come out, you know, as okay as I did. I went on, you know, went to college, did well, went to medical school, and it was not until I finished my residency training. So I was in my, by that point, my mid to late twenties, that my memories of the abuse, frankly, came flooding out. Mm-hmm. It was the first time that I kind of had an opportunity to breathe. I was the first time. It was the first time I was financially independent. And it was pretty intense those couple of years after my residency ended. It was really quite something um, how much came out. It was almost like when the lid came off, it was uh, kind of amazing what was under there. And, you know, I'm sure your listeners know about trauma and they know about PTSD and flashbacks. And I don't think I would have believed the experience if I hadn't gone through it myself. It was so intense the physical flashbacks, the emotional flashbacks, the whole journey was really destabilizing. And again, I think that I was fortunate that my psyche had learned a way of protecting myself in terms of compartmentalizing the trauma so that I continued to work. And I was able to compartmentalize that in the early days that I was getting my memories back. I was fine at work. I was taking care of patients all day long. I was working as an internist then. But honestly, the minute I left my office, between my office and just walking out to a nearby parking garage, I would be crippled by flashbacks. It just was so powerful. So it's been a long journey of healing. I'm, um, you know, I've I've been in therapy for many years. I had some bad therapy experiences, and then landed with an outstanding trauma therapist who's been by my side for a lot of years. And I, I don't know if I'd be here without without her. Yeah. So I feel like I somehow had the resilience to get through this is to get through this. And I think some of the ingredients were the freeze response, the psyche's ability to wall things off, you know, until I was ready or at least even a little bit ready.
0: Yeah, to, to deal. you weren't really ready. You didn't there want you that go. right then, but it happened. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> must right. have been your brain said, ready enough. Go. That's right. That's right.
1: And I, I found that along my whole he- healing trajectory, which has been quite a few years now, that it is very much that sense of, you know, I'm not sure I can handle what's coming up for me, but my psyche has that protective ability. It only only reveals as much as I actually can weather, even if that's kind of a fine line at times. So I feel like I've had a pretty successful healing journey. As I said, I became a parent. I was single, but I knew that I wanted to be a mother, scary as that was. And that was probably, you know, the best decision that I ever made. I feel so fortunate. You know, my son is now 23. He's a just a beautiful, lovely, well-adjusted, resilient young person who goes on mindfulness retreats himself, you know, mm-hmm. has no, nothing to do with what mom does. So it, it's been a really fantastic healing journey, but sure, it's it's been a challenge. And it's helped me see, as I said, that we all have resilience within us. We do. And we have to help people learn how to access it, how to replenish it, what it is that sustains them and what it is that depletes them and those are things that we can learn we can develop that awareness of what it is that we need you know so many people we're in the pandemic now and i tell me what you think laura but you know, a lot of people are addicted to watching the news. And mm-hmm. that's not just the pandemic. And I'm, I'm not sure when this um, interview will air, but at the moment that I'm speaking to you, it is two and a half weeks before the U.S. election. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot going on and people are glued to the news in whatever form they get it. And yet the level of agitation from watching all the news is, is high for many Americans And so how do we really tune into that? How do we really get to know what improves our well-being and what gets in the way, what dissipates uh, a sense of ease? And once we get to know that, then we can be a little more intentional. For me, I rarely watch the news now. I can't stand it. It's just so Mm anxiety-producing. You know, it just disrupts my sleep, and then I'm irritable during the day, and I snap at people. It's just, for me, it's extremely unhealthy. I'm not living in a cave, you know, I take a look at the news, you know, and stay up to date on things. But anything more than that is it does not help me be a good citizen of this world in any way. So how do we get to know those influences, right? And take the time to really think about what fuels us, what fills our inner resilience well and what depletes it. And I I know for you and your listeners in mental health, that's a lot of what you're helping people with, right, is to have that awareness, to tune in and to commit to the things that do improve their well-being as opposed to the things that, you know, deplete it.
0: Running a group private practice has been a challenging and rewarding experience, and one thing that has made it so much easier is Therapy Notes. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. If you're coming from another EHR, like I did, Therapy Notes makes the transition incredibly easy, importing your demographic data free of charge so you can get going right away. My team has found Therapy Notes very easy to learn, it's intuitive, the customer support is Second and none. And that's one of the things that has kept me a Therapy Notes customer for several years now. Anytime I've needed to contact Therapy Notes for help with an issue I couldn't figure out on my own, I've been able to get through to someone and resolve the issue within 15 minutes, 99% of the time. Find out what more than a hundred thousand mental health professionals already know. Try Therapy Notes for two months absolutely free. Just click on the link in the show notes or enter the promo code chat at therapynotes.com. Yes. And even for us therapists, it can be challenging because, you know, I, I think it really resonated for me when you were talking about, and this was in our first part of our interview where you were talking about having this, one of the, you were talking about not yourself, but for physicians having where they go to work and they, it feels so meaningful. No, it was you when you were talking about the hospice work, you were saying how meaningful it felt. And then it began to be like you were feeling guilty when you were at work because you were away from your son and you were feeling guilty when you were home because you were away from work. It can become where that like drive to make a difference is all we can focus on. And so our relationships are suffering and our relationship with ourselves is suffering, you know?
1: Well, it's so the, a the lament of the caregiver and particularly the female caregiver. Everybody else comes first. Mm-hmm. I, I barely even make it onto the list. I think that's what you're talking
0: about. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it can be, I hate to say it, but it can be a bit of a disease too, can't it? You know, my meaning is taking care of others. And that only takes us so far. You know, I'd, I'd love to talk a little bit about self-compassion because it's so important around this topic. Wonderful. We, please. We, we as caregivers, and professional caregivers, have so much compassion for our patients, right? What you were talking about, mm-hmm. you know, we, we do anything to take care of our patients. And it, and that is a wonderful thing and provides so much meaning and purpose for us. And obviously, it's an incredibly, incredibly potent gift to those we take care of. And yet, If we have all that compassion for others, but don't apply it to ourselves, we're almost telling ourselves, everybody else is worthy of care and comfort, and I'm not. We're kind of excluding ourselves from the circle of humanity, all of which is deserving and should receive comfort and compassion. So it leaves us actually very isolated. We're not attending. We're not just not attending to ourselves, but we're keeping ourselves in the state of emotional as well as physical deprivation. So I do a lot of self-compassion with my coaching clients, and self-compassion has been an incredibly powerful part of my own healing journey. You know, like many abuse survivors, I had the opposite of compassion for myself. Somehow I thought I had brought this on myself, and there was so much shame around it as well. You know, common for people who live through childhood abuse. And One of the most powerful medicinals in my own healing journey has been developing compassion for that very innocent, vulnerable child that I was. And that has been a big journey, learning how to do that. And similarly, with the clients that I work with, um, there's so much self-criticism, so much inner bullying that many people have, and many physicians have a very high degree of that. They're harshest critics, you know, berating themselves over the smallest things, and It's so depleting. It's, um, you know, if you think about a young child, just, you know, for listeners who have kids and... You know, if you told that kid that they were no good at math and they would never be good at math and they'd never be as smart as their sister and why bother trying? You know, they're just going call call, to crawl into a cave and never want to do math, right? right? But sometimes we do that to ourselves and we don't realize the negative impact that it has, you know, as opposed to if you tell that child, okay, so, you know, you're struggling with math, but I know you can do it. And let me help you figure out how to do it. And yeah, your sister's good at it, but you know, you're good at it too. You know what I mean? Like it's such a different, it's so uplifting <laughs> to a child. And we know that that's going to motivate the child to, to succeed. And we have to do that with ourselves as well. And I just find with physician and healthcare professional, one after another that I work with, the more that I can help people see their own circumstances with compassion, it it's it's almost a game changer. They become unstuck. They begin to be able to see their own strengths and accomplishments. They can really move themselves out of burnout and they can build their resilience toward whatever it is that they're struggling with, an illness, the pandemic, you know, job insecurity, whatever it is. So I think self-compassion is just something that we all need in in large doses.
0: I agree. I think it's a complete, it's been a game changer for me. It's Mm -hmm. really been for me, like something that once I started practicing self-compassion, I felt different about everything.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's that powerful, isn't it? Yeah.
0: So how would you like to share with us some of the ways that you use self-compassion and other strategies, if you like, to talk about those with physicians who you're coaching. Hmm.
1: Well, let me talk about a couple of strategies and then maybe I can lead your listeners in a self-compassion break. So before I do that, you know, a couple of the other strategies have a lot to do with mindfulness. When people hear the word mindfulness, they often think about, you know, kind of monks on the mountaintop, you know, spending hours a day sitting in silence And that's great if that's what you're moved to do, but mindfulness is so much more than that. It's it's really an approach to our own mind, to becoming acutely aware of what our own mind is up to. We all have patterns of thought, patterns of self-criticism, patterns of viewing the world. And some of them are accurate, and some of them are highly inaccurate and downright false. And with mindfulness, we get to know them more. So, for example, for myself, you know, as an abuse survivor, there was just so much shame. And a big part of my healing journey has been the mindful awareness of that shame kind of rather than it being like the uh, the wallpaper that was present everywhere, moving it out into my consciousness where I can work with it. I can see, wow, I'm being besieged by a shame attack. You know, I'm just feeling like there's something deeply wrong with me and this is a time to take care of myself to slow down to really think about what i need because i don't deserve to experience that shame i didn't do anything bad here so with mindfulness we're kind of taking it out of the shadows and we're bringing it into the forefront because once we do then we can work with it with a lot more agility so that's a that's a very important for burnout And then we talked about this a little bit, working with our inner criticism, sometimes in the form of the imposter syndrome. A lot of physicians walk around feeling like an imposter. And the lay public may be surprised at that. Well, physicians know so much. You know, they are revered. They make a good income. They have all of this job security. And yet so many physicians walk around feeling like an imposter. And we touched a bit, I think, in the first session about how medical training, unfortunately, exacerbates that and contributes to the imposter syndrome. So we need to get to know our inner critic. And work with the inner critics so that it doesn't have as much airtime as it can have for many of us. So those are a couple of strategies. But would it be helpful for me to lead your listeners in a self-compassion break? I think that would be lovely. Okay. So I want to encourage you, Laura, and your listeners to just bring to mind whatever you're struggling with today, whatever it is, if it's uh, a difficult relationship or something related to COVID or another illness, a fear that you're having, difficulty with a child, whatever it is, just to bring it to mind right now. And then put your hand over the area of your heart and press a little bit in the universal gesture of... Love, really, a hand over the heart and a, and a gesture of tenderness toward yourself. And if it's comfortable, to let your eyes gently close and start by taking a few slow, deep breaths and feeling the pressure of your own hand as you take your deep inhalation and as you're imagining the difficulty that you're in and focusing on it right now, I just want to say a few things, which is that whatever it is you're experiencing, I know it's difficult for you. This is a moment of struggling. This is hard. And I also know that Anybody else in your circumstances would find this difficult too. And other people do find this difficult. In other words, you're not alone. Suffering is part of the human condition for every single one of us. And my wish for you in this moment of difficulty is that you can be kind to yourself. That you can bring the same compassion to yourself that you bring to so many others. That you can be patient with yourself as you go through this difficulty. That you can forgive yourself in any way that you need to. That you can acknowledge that, sure, you could have done things differently. We're all imperfect beings and that you can remind yourself that your intentions are good, that you're trying hard to do what you need to do to take care of yourself and others in this difficulty. And to take a few slow, deep breaths again and perhaps consider for a moment if there's anything of a compassionate nature that you would say to a friend who's going through some similar difficulty to the one you're experiencing, what you might say to that friend or loved one. And I want to encourage you to say that to yourself and to repeat this exercise at times when you are feeling low overwhelmed, saddened, not sure about the best way to go forward. So gently opening the eyes again. And so this is what's called a self-compassion break that comes to us from Kristen Nash and Christopher Germer, two of the leaders in self-compassion research. I find this very powerful as a medicinal, really as a medicinal, that we need doses of, regular doses of, to counter that tendency that we all have as human beings to be very critical of ourselves. So I I hope that can be helpful to your listeners.
0: Thank you. I think it was helpful for me. So thank you. And I'm sure that other people will appreciate it as well. Well, Gail, you are doing some beautiful work in the world. I'm so glad that you're doing it. I'm so glad that you've been able to use your own experience to really change things for people who really need the support and deserve it just as much as the people they take care of deserve to be taken care of. Thank you for that. Thank you for what you do and for, for being here with me today. Well, thank you,
1: Laura. I feel very fortunate to do what I do and such a pleasure talking with you. Really. Thank you for having me.
0: You're welcome. So as we finish up, let's just tell our audience again, like we did in the first episode that we, we shared together, where they can find what you're doing. And please let them know what's there because it's a lot. Yeah, my website is
1: galegazelle.com So G-A-I-L-G-A-Z-E-L-L-E.com. And I have a number of free resources. People can download a chapter from my book, Everyday Resilience. So that's free. I have a lot of meditations and talks about various aspects of mindfulness, which are also free. I have a 14-day a meditation series that you can download on the site. And then I offer 30-minute free consultations to healthcare professionals who are interested in potentially learning more about healthcare professional coaching. So I encourage your, your listeners to take a look. And if any of that can be helpful, then... That makes
0: me feel great. Well, I'm sure it will be. And as you know, we talked about, there's kind of so much stigma for physicians around seeking help for burnout that just having all these free resources and being able to stick their toe in the water without having to make a full commitment right away is probably really helpful. So thank you so much, Gail. Well, again, thank you. It's really been a pleasure being on Therapy Chat. Thank you so much. Thank you to Therapy Notes for sponsoring this week's episode. I do love Therapy Notes. It's such an asset to my business and makes my job as a practice owner and a therapist much easier. Try it today with no strings attached to see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. Use coupon code CHAT or click the link in the show notes to get two free months at therapynotes.com. Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code chat at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today.